Greetings, victims. For those of you who delight in dread, who fantasize about fear, who glorify gore, welcome. You have found the place where the horror returns. Listeners, beware. This podcast contains major plot spoilers and the foulest of language. Join us in celebrating the old and the new, the best and the worst in horror. Greetings, listeners. You have found The Horror Returns, but uh, not just any episode of The Horror Returns. This is a uh, very special part two of a two-part interview that I conducted with uh, my real good friend Jack Falvey from uh, Binge Media. How's it going, Jack? Oh, it's going great, man. What a great interview. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. We uh, we interviewed David Gregory, who is the uh, director of a number of, of documentary films. The one that caught our attention was uh, Lost Soul, uh, which was the film about uh, Richard Stanley's, uh, I guess you would say, failed attempt mm. to uh, to make the, the island of Dr. Moreau that uh, probably would have been better than the finished product. Would you agree? <laughs> probably. Uh, he also he's also the president of Severin Films, and I I met up met up with him at Texas Frightmare and noticed uh, all the wonderful old horror and exploitation titles on the table, and kind of got to talking about, talking to him a little bit and found out he actually had directed this film. So, Jack, thanks for for joining me, man. Are you ready for us to uh, to roll part two here for our listeners? Absolutely, very excited. Um, and just for the ones who missed it or, or who don't listen, where should they uh, where should they uh, point that clicker to uh, to go back and pick up part one? Uh, yeah, part one is featured on this past week's binge cast. So as this drops, uh, our show that dropped on Monday, uh, in all likelihood featuring some of the Lollapalooza recap and a few other things from the boys, uh, that's where you'll be able to find this and uh, you know hear hear the first half of our, our really. Fantastic interview with David Gregory. All right, excellent. So this is the first of hopefully many uh, uh, crossovers with Binge Media and The Horror Returns. Hope you guys enjoy part two. I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about the project, frankly. There was some lunatic movie that's known as one of the worst films ever made. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, I I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Theater Bazaar because that was a that was a horror anthology film that came out maybe at a time where they weren't as popular. Um, and you know, horror anthologies are, are seems like we get a lot of them more and more every year. I mean, I think the last one that I saw was Tales of Halloween, but you know, you get your trick or treats. There are three VHS films. Um, oh yeah, all kinds of stuff out there now. Um. So I was just wondering, like, what what are the events that led up to the release of that? And, you know, was there, like, specific inspiration for it? Or, you know, where did that come from? It was exactly that, that, that there hadn't been many horror anthologies in recent years. I think Trick or Treat was actually before Theatre Bizarre. But Theatre Bizarre, like a lot of the ones that have come about since, was a multi-director anthology. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there hadn't been that many of those. They did exist, but there hadn't been that many of them in the years previous. Most horror anthologies had one director, 
and 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 usually one writer as well um right from right going back to um waxworks in the in the uh, the german expressionism film and right up until the 2000s there was it was usually just one director but it came about because i was uh, i was festivaling my first feature plague town and uh, i was at a the Boston Underground Film Festival with Kareem Hussain. And we were just talking, you know, bitching like filmmakers do about how hard it is to get a feature off the ground and stuff like that. And it it just seemed to me that, that an anthology would be a good way for filmmakers to actually be able to get film uh, get a film made without it just being a short that wouldn't get seen and uh, have um, have a have a have a basic idea uh, thread theme to run through like a lot of anthologies do and then just uh, you know approach a few filmmakers and see if they'd be up for the challenge and uh, and that's basically what happened um started with kareem he brought on doug buck um then we approached richard uh a couple of the filmmakers we approached either couldn't do it or um had to drop out um and then you know once we got the whole package together i actually got better directors uh, higher profile directors together than I thought I would get because really it was uh, an excuse for me to be able to get to make another movie as well um, and it would be easier to to sort of raise the money uh, for for something like this if I was able to get some you know a couple of de- decent directors on board and I think the roster that we got was great and I think ultimately uh, everybody entered into the spirit of it and delivered something that was way above and beyond. Uh, what I could have expected for what the budget was, so I'm pretty proud mm-hmm. of the movie with how it came out. And then, um, and and it seemed like very soon after that, a lot of anthology movies were happening with the with the same kind of model. And I'm not saying it was my my idea that anyone took. I'm saying that it was more kind of the climate of for filmmakers at the time that it was getting harder and harder for them to get features off the ground. So it seemed like right. approaching filmmakers to, to contribute an anthology meant that they're not taking three years out of their life. You know, you can, you can give them, these are the parameters. This is the budget come back with a film which is a pretty enticing, um, uh, thing for a, for a, uh, for a filmmaker to commit to because it gives you creative freedom, but it also makes you part of a project with, with, you know, yeah, with colleagues. Yeah, it's a match made in heaven, basically, for the for the format that it is. Yeah, yeah, no, it it, it was a really, um, in terms of creatively, it was a really kind of satisfying project all around, and we premiered it at Fantasia, which is where a lot of the filmmakers had had uh, films before, so it all seemed kind of like family-like almost. They gave us a real uh, impressive premiere, and then... Uh, Lo and behold, just like so many filmmaking stories, we sold it to uh, a distribution company who basically stole the film, never paid for it, and then we had to sue them. And then, <laughs> oh so, boy! So Theatre Bazaar Two was put on hold, and that's when all the all the VHSs and ABCs of deaths and all that kind of sure. stuff came out. Yeah. And so then, by the time we finally got the rights back, I mean, I think the the anthology format has kind of uh, has kind of been done to death at this point. But we are going to put out a. Uh, a special edition Blu-ray of it uh, uh, through Severin, so so it will uh, it will at least have a chance to to shine without it making money for somebody else. That sounds great. Looking forward to that one. What um what are the biggest differences for you to prepare for and execute documentary film filmmaking versus a scripted work? 
I suppose the, the the main difference is that with the scripted work, you once once you're out of the gate, you have mm-hmm. to get to the finish line as quickly as possible because you know once you start shooting you, and you've got everybody there, that's when you start hemorrhaging money all over the place, and you've got a ton of people that 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 you only have for a limited amount of time. Okay. With with the documentaries, we're we're working with other people's schedules, so we're so we're reliant on interviewees and 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 things to fall into place that we have to do. So I'm always working on a number of different documentaries at the same time that are in various stages of production. Ah, okay. Yeah. So so basically, I you know I've got one right now that we're in post production on uh, about the life and death of Al Adamson, which is um, which has been in production for about a year and a half now, and uh, and is being edited by Mark Hartley, the guy who directed Electric Boogaloo and Not Quite Hollywood, and nice. um, and but it's you know it's taking its sweet time to get to the finish line because there's no there's no actual. Uh, delivery date necessarily i mean i know i need to get it finished because we've been spending money on it and and we've licensed a bunch of the movies to come out with it um when we bring it out but at the same time it's not like it's uh, i'm delivering for somebody else or i'm reliant on you know the actor's schedules or something like that interesting very interesting i mean yeah documentaries always have the the well not always but a lot of the time it seems like they have the benefit of being able to take a more of a cursory look at things, step back for a moment, take your time and really craft the narrative that you're trying to get across. Um, you know, something like, uh, LA 92 that I just saw. Um, very interesting approach. Again, a similar approach where there's no, there's no narration really. There's nobody guiding you through the story, but, um, you can definitely see where, you know, they, they're not necessarily a slave to the clock when it comes to putting together and making their, their overall points. It's kind of interesting to hear that perspective on it. But. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a very nerdy question, but it's one that I always <laughs> like to ask people <laughs> because I think it's... Here we go. I, I'm, I'm very much in the middle, just just for the, for the listeners, very much in the middle of this debate. But are you more of a Star Wars guy or a Star Trek guy? Well, seeing as I've never seen a full episode of Star Trek in my life... Oh, no! (laughs) I will have to go on the side of Star Wars, but I'm not the hugest Star Wars fan either. I will say that I I saw uh, the first Star Wars when I was, I think, five years old, uh, and it blew me away. Um, But I never saw The Empire Strikes Back until a few years later, and then I saw Return of the Jedi when it was kind of ending its run. So by that point... I'd already become a, a, a horror fanatic. Right. So, right. Um, so it, it, it never really kind of took me away in the same way it did, did with a lot of people. Gotcha. Gotcha. But Interesting. It didn't pop up on didn't pop up on the radar the same way The Exorcist did. No, exactly. Well, although I, ha- I have a beef with The Exorcist as well, because not being Catholic, I don't find it nearly as scary as a lot of people do. I was I was much more I was much more a Texas Chainsaw guy when I was a kid. Hmm. Actually, okay. that kind of leads to a different question that um, that now now that I think about it. So, what are like, like when it comes to horror films? Do you have a couple that are real benchmarks for you that you sort of look at and you say, "Yeah, like that's that's perfect." Like I want to emulate that, or or just some general favorites. Yeah, I mean, Texas Chainsaw and Dawn of the Dead were the ones that I that that really stuck mm. with me when I was when I was a youth. Um, 
but but having said that, I the day that I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was watching it with my business partner Carl when we were in school together. We were we I, I guess we were probably nine years old or something like that. Mm. And I remember we were pretending to play chess in the living room so if our parents walked in that's what we could say we were doing whereas we were watching texas chainsaw massacre and also on that very same day jess franco's bloody moon which oh, is a nice. movie which, which is a movie we've brought out on blu-ray through severin which is a very important movie to us because we thought that was those two movies were the best movies in the world um mm -hmm. now as time has gone on i've sort of realized that texas chainsaw massacre is actually genuinely one of the best movies ever made and bloody moon is kind of like a fun slasher but uh, but certainly that those those were both very landmark movies as far as i was concerned but i mean you know there's there's any number of them as uh, as as life has gone on i mean uh, when i saw twin peaks firewalk with me when I, in 1992 i thought it was just the best thing i'd i'd ever seen and ever will see and i was just watching it again the other night and i still think it's a masterpiece um but um but yeah, and, and zombie, and zombie uh, as it's called here, it was called Zombie Flesh Eaters in England, was one of the first, pretty, I think it was the first gore movie that I ever rented when we got a VCR when I was a kid. Mm. And I just rented it based on the, the cover artwork. And again, it was the cut version in England, but I still thought it was an absolute masterpiece. I couldn't believe how impressive this movie was. And, uh, and a lot of it was to do with the atmosphere and the makeup. Uh, less to do with the actual splatter because there was because uh, a lot of that stuff was cut out of the UK version. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but you know once I got to see the uncut version, which came out a couple of, couple of years later in England, um, uh, obviously it was even better. But uh, but that also was a was a pretty major landmark movie. And uh, Suspiria the same thing. When I first saw Suspiria, I was just you know just just the noise and the beauty that accompanied the outright violence was was something that that was really impressive. Well, that Suspiria score still gets under my skin. That's an amazing score. Yeah, but even but now but you know things change. Like nowadays, like I'm more inclined to put on phenomena than i am to put on suspiria so uh so you know who knows who knows why our uh, why our, our tastes are, are, are um, attracted to one thing over another over time sure sure well david I, I met up with you in texas at the uh frightmare convention last month I'm, I'm curious how often you make it to texas because there's actually a uh cult classic convention coming up 29 september through uh the first of o october you might be interested in oh really uh yeah it's going to be in bastrop i'm looking at the website they're going to have uh most of the family from the original texas chainsaw massacre in attendance and uh, a number of people from part two as well oh well that's cool i mean i i love texas obviously it's got you know it Texas Chainsaw Shocking Truth was my first feature documentary. I was mainly sure. shot in Austin. And, um, uh, you know, I've been to Fantastic Fest and the, the Draft House a couple of times with my uh, with uh, with work that I've done. And, of course, we go to the Texas Frightmare every year, which is which is far and away the most outstanding horror convention that there is, certainly that I'm aware of. I mean, that's we, we, we try and have a bigger presence and, and uh, design releases around Texas Frightmare nowadays because it's, uh, it's quite... In fact, we, I was just talking with Lloyd from Texas Frightmare right afterwards and telling him how it was even better than... Like, every year it just gets bigger and better. And, and next year we're working on bringing a guest who is uh, 
uh, over from Europe who is uh, connected to a couple of the movies we'll be putting out next year. Obviously, I can't say who it is at this point, but uh, okay. that's, that's for Lloyd to announce. But, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, something, it's something we very much look forward to every year. All right. Well, that, that does bring us to a final question we want to ask you. What, what do you see as the future of Severn Films? Are there any upcoming uh, projects that you're free to talk about at all? Yeah, so I've got the I've got the Al Adamson documentary, which is which is pretty fascinating. I don't know if you're familiar with Al Adamson, but he made a lot of uh, very low budget horror and exploitation movies in the '60s and '70s, like Dracula vs. Frankenstein, Satan's Sadist, Blood of Dracula's Castle, Naughty Stewardesses, Nurse Sherry, um, <laughs> and he. Um, he basically retired from filmmaking in the early 80s, uh, but unfortunately is more famous now for being known as the guy who was murdered by his handyman and buried underneath his jacuzzi. So then uh, this all happened out in Palm Desert, not far from here uh, in L.A. And uh, so it's, it's got the whole uh, crazy filmmaker story of, of this guy who just used to Shanghai people and go out to the desert and make these wacky exploitation movies, uh, including like a lot of old Hollywood stars like uh, uh, John Carradine, for example, and then, and then a bunch of new cast and crew talent like Vilmos Zygmunt and Laszlo Kovacs, the DPs, both worked on Al Adamson movies. Um, and um, but then it takes this left turn in the in the last act into this kind of true crime drama, which is an area which I haven't really explored before in my documentary work. So I've been in, interviewing a lot of kind of witnesses and people who knew him not from the movies, but from that life after he retired, and also a mm-hmm. bunch of police and the DA and and uh, and doing a, ver- a fair amount of in- investigative stuff to, to figure out exactly how it went down. Um, so that's pretty cool. So that's that should be finished. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully in the early fall that will be that will be finished and ready to go and ready to show at festivals. And then I also shot a another feature documentary on Dark Shadows, as I mentioned, and that's for that's for MPI. That one's the closest to being finished. And then thirdly, the third feature documentary I'm working on is called Enter the Clones of Bruce, which is about. <laughs> Which is about all those uh, fake Bruce Lee films that came out after Bruce. Oh, oh for sure. <laughs> yeah. So they. Uh, so basically, once Bruce Lee died, you know, he was this guy who became the biggest movie star, the first Asian movie star um, <coughs> in the who who made such an impact across the world. Uh, all of a sudden, drops dead right before his biggest movie came out. So there's this massive gap in the market finally the hong kong industry thought okay let's make movies for the international market that are action movies uh and they lose their biggest star so all of a sudden uh, and also when bruce died of course it was quite well known that he was in the middle of making a movie so all these movies came out that were either kind of fake biopics or 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 fake sequels to to his movies you know fist of fury 2 or or whatever uh, or mm-hmm. exit the dragon enter the tiger um, and then there are just like wacky ones, like the clones of Bruce Lee, where you know a, a scientist gets some of Bruce Lee's blood and makes a bunch of Bruce Lees to go and fight the the triads, or um, <laughs> or, or the dragon lives again, where he's uh, he's in purgatory and he has about to go to hell, and he has to fight like James Bond and the man with no name and Emmanuel even and Popeye. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. How did I miss this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was, there's a ton of them and there are, there are four key 
uh, fake bruises, and so far we've got three of them on camera. One of them is refusing to participate, which is really annoying. So we're going to try and keep on uh, try and keep on doing that. But if not, then we're going to then we're going to finish it without him because we've got so much great stuff. We shot in uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and uh, and South Korea uh, just towards the end of last year. And so that's all coming together. And in the meantime, we've got you know about three movies a month coming out through Severin, and a, a, a bunch of great stuff. So so no no shortage of stuff to do. Where uh, where do we go to to uh, to purchase all these wonderful Blu-rays and DVDs through Severin? You can go to severin-films.com, or just follow Severin Films on Facebook because that's where we make all our announcements and all the special offers and the special sales and stuff like that. Yeah, Severin Films on Facebook is where, uh, is where we do regu- regular updating and keep everybody abreast of, of what we're up to. Great. Well, we really appreciate it. Uh, Jack, did you have any, uh, any final words? Uh, no, just that uh, really, <laughs> again, can't say it enough, Love Lost Soul. It's one of my favorite documentaries of the past ten years. Right there with like King of Kong and some other entries. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. But David, can we find you anywhere else on Facebook or Twitter? Any other handles you want to throw out there for the listeners? Yeah, Severin Films on Twitter as well uh, and Instagram as well. So yeah, we're just just Severin Films. That's uh, that's where all of, all of the information of all the stuff that we're working on will be. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, Lance, I think we're uh, I think we're all set if we're ready to wrap this thing up. Yep, outstanding, David. Uh, we can't thank you enough for your time, man. I appreciate it, guys. No problem. Right, and thanks. we'll uh, we'll we'll email you when everything is up and send you the links and all that good stuff. And um, again, you're getting double coverage with this interview with two uh, two groups. Although I think there's probably a lot of bleed over in listeners, but uh, we'll still we'll still get you a number of extra ears listening as well. Thank you very much. Well, good luck editing that. (laughs) Real good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks. Thank you.